Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Couple of weeks, man. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. It was a crazy week, right? We had some crazy, some crazy weather. Um, we've been dealing with fallout from that, like just our family um, since it happened. Our our house got hit by a tree. It like wasn't like awful, right? Um, but it's a hassle, as you guys know. And so, man, if any of you guys are dealing with storm damage, I feel you. I feel you, right? Um, so, so grateful that you guys are here. And uh, man, let's let's have our hearts encouraged by. Paul's writing to the Ephesians this morning. Um, We're in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, and we're going to be working through verse 20. And so uh, we're 21, I'm sorry. So we're finishing out uh, really what amounts to the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning. And so let's take just a second and let's revisit what we we saw last week, and let's look ahead to what we are going to see see this week. And I I mean, with all sincerity, we're going to take just a moment. Those of you guys that are here week in, week out, you're like, that's a lie. Like you're about to talk for the next 10 minutes about what we saw last week. Not true. I'm about to lay it out really quickly. Okay. So, so here we go. In verses one through 13, we see Paul's unpacking the mystery of Gentile relationship and equality with the Jewish believers as sons and daughters of God through Christ Jesus and his felt responsibility to steward this news well. <clears throat> so one statement, it was a long one, okay? But like I gave it to you right there and it was really quick, right? First 13 verses, Paul's unpacking the relationship between Gentiles and Jews and this, this new relationship that they enjoy with one another as a result of what has been accomplished through uh, the, the, the atoning, uh, self-sacrificing work of Jesus on the cross, the power of his resurrection, new relationship. Not only with God, as we've kind of seen over previous weeks, but also with one another, which occupies a ton of real estate in those first 13 verses. Paul talks about how he feels responsible for stewarding the good news of the gospel well. It's kind of where we we laid a ton of emphasis last week, as this is where Paul lays a ton of emphasis in these first 13 verses. Now, in verses 14 through 21, we find the conclusion of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, which began in verse 1, as well as a statement of praise to God for his work. And so we said last week, right, that that Paul in chapter 3 begins to like move towards this intercessory prayer for the Ephesians, all stemming back and relating to the new relationship that they enjoy with one another, right? Like this relationship is, is new. Therefore, I man, let's look to the Lord and let's pray that he, would, that he would work in some really specific ways to bring about confidence in this relationship and new identity in Christ and all of these things to be understood, right? He does that for a verse and then he, he diverts back, right? He, he regresses, he steps back and he looks towards something that he mentioned previously in chapter two. This morning, as we come into verse 14, we are actually picking up where Paul began in verse 1. As followers of Jesus, it's what Paul's going to lead us towards, what Paul's modeling, it's what Paul's displaying by way of of his prayer, beginning in verse 1 and, and concluding in verses 14 through 21. 
As followers of Jesus, we have a very specific desire. Mirrored by Paul here in in these few verses. A desire for our friends' hearts to be filled with faith. To be grounded in love. And to possess an, an intimate and unique knowledge of God resulting in an ongoing worship all to the glory of God. There are specific desires that we as Christians in this room have for our friends, that we have for one another, that we have for the world. This is all mirrored and displayed through Paul's words here again in verses 14 through 21. His prayer, all of this results in an ongoing worship to God, all for his glory. That's how Paul finishes with this beautiful doxology as we really close out part one of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Next week, we'll pick back up in, in, chapter, uh, in chapter four, or actually we'll continue on in chapter three. Uh, we'll pick back up in the second part of the book uh, that, Paul, that Paul's writing here to these Gentile, to these Gentile Christians. Um, let's begin with an, with an idea, right? Um, as followers of Jesus... Forgiven and and restored in our relationship with God and with one another, the reality is that we invest in the lives of other believers, that we invest in the lives of people, just to be even more broad, but specifically in the lives of other believers. We love and we serve one another. As you came in this morning, maybe you saw a, a group of people out front that had like name tags on, right? They had these little tags and it says, you know, like, hello, my name is like so-and-so, right? If you need anything, just kind of touch base with me. These are, these are volunteers that show up early every Sunday, right? And, and, and pray for our time together in ways in which we might love and serve one another, right? These guys are not unique in their function, but they are modeling what it looks like for the rest of the church to come around this new identity and responsibility that we have been given in Christ, right? Just because you have a name tag or don't have a name tag, right? That doesn't mean that you are to engage or not to engage, that you are to serve or not to serve. Well, I don't have a name tag. And so like, I'm not really here to serve anybody else this morning, right? Like that's not the mentality that we adopt. Instead, we look towards, towards those who, who have name tags on, right? And we go, man, this is what it looks like to, to, to live within the, the, the confines of this, this beautiful, like living organism that Christ has birthed that is the church. We, we love and we serve one another. We greet one another. We invest in one another. Not only that, but we intrude into one another's lives. As Christians in covenant community with each other here at Christ the King, we commit ourselves to push into one another. Let me explain a little bit more about what this looks like, right? We, we take interest in the condition of the souls of our friends, for this covenant community, right, that, that, that marches under the banner of Christ, right, that, 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 that loves Jesus and loves the gospel and is committed to mission, dying to self and living for him, right? We, we, we come in and we go, man, we are investing into the condition of the souls of one another, man, how, how are you doing? How's everything going? This is a familiar question, isn't it? Right, tomorrow's Monday. 
right? Many of you are going to walk into spaces and you're going to be met by this question. Man, how was your weekend? How'd everything go, right? Unless it's Jeremy Wofford and then it'll be, it'll be a different type of greeting. No, no, you would say, how are you doing, man? How was your weekend? Everything go well, legitimately, like, right? What's the all too common response that we, that we find to questions like this? Everything was good. It's good. Tree fell on my house, but it was good, you know? <laughs> Even that, like, uh, like, who am I going to get in a conversation with the barista at Gallery Road tomorrow when they ask me, man, how's your weekend? Well, a tree fell on my house. I waited all Saturday afternoon for the cable guy. I was up till midnight with the power company on Friday trying to get power back to our house. And we still don't know when we're going to have the siding replaced, right? She's like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want all that, right? I wasn't looking for all of that. Really just, um, it was good, right? It's a good, good weekend. As, as Christians who are invested into one another's spiritual condition, when we ask one another, how are you? And it's met with a, you know, I'm good or things are okay. Here's what you can expect. Now, why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? Right, if I, if I ask, if I ask Jeremy as he comes in, now how's your weekend? Oh, it's okay. I'm going to go, mm-mm, No. <laughs> It's not sufficient, <laughs> right? Like, no, really, like, how was your weekend? How are you? Are you doing well? This is what it looks like to invest in, the, in the, the soul of those that we love and care for. Some would hear that and go, man, wait a minute. That's a, that's a, bit, that's a bit, bit too intrusive, right? I don't really know that I want to walk through this with you. I'll acknowledge it is intrusive, but I won't apologize for it. You guys get that? We we acknowledge that it is a bit intrusive, but we do not apologize for it. We're totally okay with, with intruding on one another's lives because this is what our relationships look like now. We care for one another. We care for the, the condition of one another. And so if I, if I ask Jeremy, man, how are you doing? He says, I'm okay. I'm going to go, okay, well, tell me what okay in the life of Jeremy looks like. Let's talk a little bit, a little bit more about it, right? We're, we're loving one another. We're serving one another. We're invested in one another. We're caring for one another's souls. We're desiring what is good for one another as is defined by the Lord and glorifying to him. This is where we are. Are we getting this? Like we're basically, we're coming around like this all-encompassing gospel perspective on our relationships. For some of us, this is calling us or maybe even convicting us of a lack of depth in some of our relationships. But what we see by way of Paul's interaction with the Ephesians, even by, by letter here, is a pushing in, is a leaning into. Man, here in Ephesians 3, for the, for the second time, this investment takes the form of prayer. As Paul's desire for the hearts of his friends to be filled with faith is observable. 
So let's do this. Let's, let's start this stream of thought where Paul starts this stream of thought. In chapter 3, verse 1, before transitioning to verse 14, where it picks up again. And so here's what we're going to do. If you've, you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 1. We're going to read the part of verse 1 that is then going to connect with verse 14. And we're just going to read it as one thought. We're going we're gonna to take out... Paul's, uh, Paul's digression from last week. So, so here's how it begins, right? In verse one, chapter three, Ephesians three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, verse 14, bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is the thought absent the interruption, that Paul begins in verse 1, as he is in process of walking through the implication of redemption in Jesus. Here are things that we've heard Paul say up into this point. Are you ready? A little bit of a, a little bit of a summary, right? You were dead in your sin, but Christ has raised you to life. Amen. That's glorious news that the saints gather around this morning. I mean, you were dead. I was that we were dead. And yet God in great kindness and and compassion set his sights upon us and raised us to life. Man, one time you lived according to the world and its rhythm, but now having been raised in Christ, you reside with him. You were at one time a, a separate people, but now you are a new man united by the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus of Nazareth for your sake. Now, right, the the spirit of God lives in you as you have been made a part of a family who loves and cares for you, who intrudes in your life, but cheers for you. That's what Paul's talking about here. As he has been speaking towards the response that he desires from the Ephesians. This is what I'm desiring from you. This is what I'm desiring for you. A response that concludes in verse 13 with a call not to feel sorry for him because of his imprisonment, but instead to celebrate the faithfulness of God to his mission. Again, let's, let's think back to what we saw last week because it's going to prove to be very important as we come to the end of this chapter. Paul essentially says this, right? That had God not strengthened and emboldened me to speak, right? Had, had he not directed my steps and focused my work on you, had the spirit not given you ears to hear and eyes to see in order to respond in repentance and faith to the preached gospel, then I wouldn't be in prison. But because God has chosen in himself to move, right, eliciting a response that resulted in your salvation, Paul says, man, glory in my imprisonment. Glory in my hardship. Not for the sake of hardship, but because it evidences the incredible success that has taken place as the, as the gospel has transformed you, as it's transformed your relationship with God, as it's transformed your relationship with other people. Celebrate my circumstantial hardship. 
It is what it is, Paul says. It is what it is because the kingdom is advancing and the world is often violent toward victories of grace. So having unpacked his desire that they would respond in this way, Paul now, interestingly enough, takes a moment to respond himself. As he, verse 14, bows his knees before the Father. This is Paul's response. He's been calling for for an Ephesian response. But now he says, man, here's how I am responding. God's understood work, his, his purpose elicits a certain response from Paul. And one that we cannot help but to emulate when we know authentic relationship with the Father. What does that look like? Because we're talking about like some of our participation in this, right? As Christians, what does it look like for, for you and I to, to respond appropriately to this realization of God's work to rescue, reconcile, and, and redeem? Those are our words, man. We love our words, apparently, right? Well, it looks like prayer, It looks like prayer here, prayer on behalf of those who have become members of the family of God in Christ, right? The one in whom we are able to enter into the presence of God. We're all sinners, right? We are all naturally separated, but because of who Christ is and what he's done for us, as we gaze upon him in faith, as we confess our sins and repent, turn from them and look to Jesus, We are made a part of this new family. Paul knows the Ephesians to be a part of this new family based on their expressed relationship with God through the son. They they call out to him, Abba. They know him as father. And this is Paul's response. Are you ready for this? We already know that he prays, but what does it say about Paul? In humility and, and selfless consideration of others, Paul bows before the Lord in prayer for their knowledge of Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, according to the riches of his glory, right? That they may be granted strength through the spirit in their inner beings. Let's consider a moment Paul's mental state as he remembers the Ephesians here. Paul knows exactly what we know, that as Christians, we do not cower before God, but we approach him in confidence through the blood of Jesus in humility. He models it, right? He, he, takes, he takes a knee, right? He takes a knee displaying outwardly this humility, towards the Lord. And yet at the same time, he is confident in Christ to walk boldly into his presence, making the following requests before him on behalf of the Ephesian people. Let's be clear on what God is not, on who God is not. God is not a tyrannical dictator. Okay, God is is not an absentee father who launched creation into motion only then to step back and see how things would turn out. He's kind and he's, he's gracious. 
Right? He's, he's, he's generous. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's persistent. He's faithful. Right? The qualities of our Father. In Christ, we are provided access to this God who displays great mercy, who who displays great affection for his creation in Christ Jesus, his incarnation, his, his substitution, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Paul, in humility, like modeling humility, right? Like makes this bold request of the Lord for his friends in Ephesus, a a request, a, a prayer for knowledge of his glory or the sum total of all of his attributes as defined by F.F. Bruce as he writes. To try to comprehend the being of God is a mind-stretching exercise. Man, you talk about a colossal understatement. Says there's a there's a special power that's necessary to even attempt it. So here Paul prays. Ready? He prays that through the Spirit, this gift may be theirs. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What, a, what an interesting request that Paul makes on behalf of his friends in Ephesus. Right, that they would that they would know the sum total of the attributes of God, that they would know God. Like, what does Paul desire for his friends? He finishes out last week by saying, "Man, don't don't feel sorry for me in my imprisonment. I mean, glory in my imprisonment, and know now I am praying for you." Right, that you would come to this this intimate knowledge of the sum total of the attributes of God, that you would know his glory. What an incredible prayer. We find as we consider the way that all this works, all right, let's think about the way all this works for just a moment. Like Paul is talking to He's talking to Gentile believers here. They are, they are possessing faith, but in a really interesting way, Paul is, is praying and will continue to pray for, for the growth, the expansion of their faith, right? Because we know that an initial expression of faith is followed by a life of faith. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. Right? We express faith and confidence in the Lord. We, we cast ourselves on him. We look to him. We gaze upon him. We, we celebrate him and the forgiveness of sins that we find through his sacrifice. And then... We go about living this life of faith. Uh, Essentially, Paul prays this. He he prays for advancement in the sanctification of the Ephesians, growth in personal holiness, right? That, that, That they might bring him no shame as they profess him as Lord and live before a watching world. Let's sum it down like this. Here's what Paul prays for. Paul prays, for strengthened faith for the Ephesians. 
But he, he prays, we see this in 14, 15, 16, he prays that the faith of his friends would increase. That's his prayer. He says, like, I, I take a knee, I bow my knee, right? And I, I remember you, I pray for you, and I'm praying for increased faith. Major point of application for just a moment. May I? Let's think about how this informs and shapes the way that we live our lives. Why this challenges the way that we live our lives. When is the last time that you just stopped and, and in humility and with passion asked God to increase or to strengthen the faith of your friends? Right, that you, that you just, in, in humility... Right, like, like positioned yourself in a way and petitioned the Lord, made this bold request of the Lord that, that he would strengthen the faith of your friends. Those in this room and, and those in rooms like this, right across this community, those that are not in this room that you desire would be here. And we so often, and I'm so, I'm so on board with this, right? Like we pray for, for opportunity, right? We pray for boldness. We pray for confidence. But when is the last time we just stopped and said like, Lord, like increase faith. Like just give us faith. Strengthen faith. Right, for, for Max Smith, right? To, to Father, strengthen his faith. For Anna Montgomery, right? Strengthen her faith. Maybe for your husband or wife, right? Like when's the last time? Just like strengthen their faith. Give them faith. They need faith in you. They need stronger faith, greater faith. I need stronger faith, greater faith. Your children, Right? for other brothers and, and sisters. All right, Father, fill them with hope in Christ. All right, fill them with, with, with hope in Christ for a life of faith and all that this means for us going further, forward, confidence in, in you and your true, uh, and this true authentic belief in your commitment to create Christ-exalting union among your people. Like that mentioned in chapter two and three, All right? Gospel work, faith work, work made possible through Christ and Christ alone. Prayer that reliance on Christ would increase so that a, a knowledge of Christ and intimacy him would in turn increase. All of this is reflective of a heart of faith, challenging, so super practical, so super applicable. Maybe you're sitting here now and you're like, man, like, I don't know that this has been a part of my rhythm, <laughs> right? I think there's these, these early, just the, the, these early verses here as we kind of round out chapter three, call us towards that, don't they? It models this for us. Paul's not the first one to do this, is he? No. You see a perfect example of, of all of this, like being, being manifest and displayed through Christ who prays for his friends. 
Are we okay? Is everybody okay? Here we go. Let's continue. Because he doesn't stop there, right? We have to continue because Paul continues. We're not done with Ephesians chapter 3 yet. He asks in, in verse 17, he requests, verse 17, that these believers would be rooted and grounded in love. Let us not forget, man, Christ's life, his, his death and resurrection destroys the power of hostility that it once existed between these two groups of people. We're talking specifically here about Jew and Gentile. But again, man, we can each like sit down and, and I mean, we can like make a list as long as my leg of like ways in which and people in whom we are in need of understanding and resting in gospel reconciliation. The death of Christ, man, he, he destroys the power of hostility. And he takes the hostility of the father towards sin on himself in order to like level these barriers and these, and these boundaries, right? That through hope in the resurrection, there would be again, as we have seen previously, a new man created. This has been God's plan from the beginning, right? Like this is God's plan from the beginning to, to create a family made of people from every tribe and tongue. If the Old Testament teaches us anything, it is that the Lord is persistent amid the failure of his people. Israel again failed on this front. Many living pridefully as, as though the nations could never be included among the people of God. Yet in love, Jesus breaks down the dividing wall. Showing believing Jews and Gentiles that, that the incorporation of the nations remains a commitment of God within the building and establishing of his eternal kingdom here and now and on into forever. This is what God's doing, and he, he does so out of a, a heart of love. This is the same type of love that, that God shows to sinners in Christ. As he pours into our hearts, the hearts of the redeemed, his spirit, so that we may show it to others. Those who love and, and follow Jesus and those who at this moment don't. This, this is the natural outcome of living saving faith. This is the natural outcome of living, saving faith. All that they may, verse 18, have strength. Have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and, and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. How beautiful are these words here in verse 18. The, 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 the faith that Paul boldly requests leads to a greater understanding of God and his work. I wanna, I wanna summarize a quote from John Piper that draws together some of what we saw last week and what Paul is his expressed desire for the Ephesians is as we observe this week. We're going to connect what we see in verse 13, this call not to, not to shy away, hold back, 
right? Or be ashamed of the difficulty that Paul is experiencing or his imprisonment, but instead to glory in it because it's evidence of Christ's commitment to to expand his kingdom. Piper writes this. Again, this is a this is a summary, right? I'm kind of kind of taking a little bit of liberty with some of his words here, so it's not an exact quote. He says this, he says, when, when Paul was willing to go to prison for the sake of Christ, he showed the nations that Christ is more precious than freedom. It's highlighting, emphasizing the, the precious nature of Christ, our King, and the good news that he, that he heralds. When he was willing to suffer for Christ, He showed the nations that Christ is more precious than comfort and security and prosperity. Yes, the the infinite value and unsearchable riches of Christ shine brightly, not in Paul's prosperity, but as verse 13 highlights for us in his imprisonment. Through through suffering, he draws the nations to the glory that Christ displays and the wisdom of the cross. To which we would say, man, but no one chooses prison. No one chooses prison. No one turns from prosperity. No one sees the breadth and length and height and depth of and the love of Christ that passes that passes knowledge. No one is filled with all the fullness of God. No one says, I can't, I can't count everything as lost for the sake of Christ. That is, of course, without supernatural power coming into our lives. And so how does this supernatural power come? Well, Paul shows us that it comes by, it comes by prayer. Most of the peoples of the world where the church is not yet planted, don't want us to come and bring the gospel, yet they will perish if the gospel does not reach them. If for Christ's sake, we are willing to go and Christ commands us to go, then we will suffer. And if our suffering is to be the glory of the world, then we must pray. Paul is praying for a ton of growth in the life of the Ephesians because he is intimately acquainted with the hardship that results from following after Jesus, especially when it's successful, right? Like, especially when, when, when God takes, takes captive, right? This, this portion of the kingdom of darkness and he births light. Right? He produces for a particular group of people a celebration of the risen King Jesus. Then a lot of hostility, typically a lot of, of difficulty, right? And Paul is, is praying here, man, that the, that the faith of, of the people in Ephesus, of the believers in Ephesus, of the sojourners in Ephesus would be strengthened. Why? Well, because you're going to need a strong faith. He's praying that they would would know intimately the attributes of God, that they would know him. He's pushing in, he's he's encouraging this this relational element, right? We, We are being confronted with what it looks like to truly love and follow after Jesus. It's to know him, right? It's to know God, it's to know who he is, it's to know what he loves, it's to know what he hates, it's to know what he desires for our lives. So we're getting this, right? Like we're getting 
what this looks like. That we, as his people, lean into his word that is living and active, that provides instruction and, and insight, that constructs for us a, a framework and an understanding of, of who he is. We cannot adequately or accurately know who God is apart from knowledge of his word. That's so important. Know God. Right, Know God and be strengthened in the spirit. Embrace a life of hardship. Embrace difficulty. Similarly to that which is observable in the life of Paul imprisoned. Similarly to that which is observed by way of Christ's crucifixion. Right, we walk alongside our king. We expect hardship. But get this, good news, right? Like he, he transforms our mind to embrace this time of life, which right now, as you sit in your seat, might be producing all types of anxiety for you. How do I live this life? Man, how do I embrace this life? How do I walk a life of faith? Only the gospel, only Jesus can do this. Only, only the gospel and the spirit can do this in us. So he says, know God, right? Like know God, know his glory, know his attributes, know him as father, know him intimately. Acquaint yourself with his commitment, his mission, his work. So that as you walk this life of faith, existing in, in unique, right? Relationship with one another, new relationship with God. Like you would know what you're doing. Like you would have have opportunity to continue to run. You would be persistent. It's really like, I mean, it's just encouraging like sound, like doctrine and theology here, isn't he? Like sound doctrine and theology, this understanding and knowledge of who God is. Which interestingly enough, leads to what we read in verses 20 and 21, which is what we refer to as a doxology. It's this, it's this point of, of praise, worship that we're observing here from Paul. And so, so step back and, and let's say what we just said, right? Which is that the desire that we possess like for ourselves and for one another is this intimate knowledge of God that's going to produce like strength for the life of faith by way of the spirit, right? Sound doctrine, sound theology that then must lead to worship. That's what Paul says here. It's what he shows us here in verses 20 and 21. Look there with me. Look at what Paul says in verse 20. It's incredible, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, and have walked boldly before the Lord and made these very specific requests for you. But, oh goodness, God is able to do far more abundantly. I mean, according to the power at work within us, verse 21, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He ends with praise. He rounds this thing off with worship. I mean, as followers of Jesus, we like Paul, we like Jesus desire for our friends, hearts filled with faith, a grounding in love and a knowledge of God resulting in ongoing worship. What does Paul say in verses 20 and 21? He says, man, forever and ever. 
forever and ever. May we never grow tired. May we never grow weary. May we never grow bored of worshiping King Jesus because he is worthy of our eternal worship. Man, Father, it's just help us to help us to focus. Help me to focus. It's so easy to get caught up in like other things, less important things that are going on in the world, that are going on in my life, that are going on in my relationships. Like give me, give me confidence in the power of, of Christ, the work of the Spirit, where you are ultimately leading us. Help us to worship you, help us to know you, help us to celebrate you forever and ever throughout all generations. Amen. Man, for the life of faith, for the life of faith, we, we live in a very specific way. Can I give you one word that, that shapes this for us? For the life of, of faith, we live in reliance. Or we live in reliance on the spirit and the strength that he provides. We bow in humble worship before the Lord. Desiring to see him lifted up as we are made to be low. And the spirit lives in us, grounding us in love, faithful and teaching us more and more about God, leading us to offer more and more worship to God. He who is able to accomplish more than we could even begin to comprehend, saving us as our substitute through the power of the resurrection as death is cast into the sea. And the church made to be this masterpiece of grace. Paul concludes with this resounding amen, and we start to understand the tone behind it as we frame it in here. This would have been the the congregation's response. Amen. This isn't only from Paul. But Paul's communicating through this final, this final portion. The expected response from the Ephesians as they read, right? It would look like, I mean, they just had this, this letter. This is the, this more accurate maybe, <laughs> right? Like one of these guys and they're just, they're reading it and the anticipation is building and it's just getting better and better and everybody's sitting on the edge of their seats, and then you get to the end and it's like, and it's amen there in chapter three. And it's, it's as though the room would have like erupted. Yes, amen. Man, from a distance, Paul is leading the people to worship and celebrate Jesus. This is their, their response as they would have read the conclusion of the first half of this wonderful book, three chapters filled with cause for worship. We've broken it up into like five weeks, haven't we? We've broken it up into like five weeks, but they read it all at once. And it was, it was though this was their first opportunity to catch their breath. Does that make sense? I think two weeks ago we read, and, and I think Walt made the observation, it was like this paragraph that was really only two sentences, right? It was just like, it just kept going and going, and it just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, right? 
This would have been the first opportunity for the, for the people to catch their breaths. And it would, be, it would be filled, right, with this chorus of amen. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, we find a beautiful illustration of what, of what this looks like for us. Having been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh with the bodies of dead Egyptians washing up on the beach, the Red Seas having refilled its form, we come to the song of Moses. Listen to what, listen to what Moses sings. Listen to what the people sing as they come to the other side of the sea. We've come to the other side. Here we are. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, why don't we do this? Why don't we just close our eyes and listen to this? Just like close your eyes and lean in and listen to this. See the scene, right? I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This, this is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will, Moses sings, exalt him. We're about to do this in song. We're about to to exalt our God in song. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to invite I'm going to invite these guys to to come up as they prepare to lead us in this. But I want us to connect where we are here in Ephesians chapter 3 and what we have seen with what we just read from Exodus chapter 15. See, as Christians, we have been delivered. We've been delivered. We've been delivered from the power of sin and death, separation from God and hostility with all of creation. We have been delivered. And as we come to the table, we are, we are reminded as to how all of this took place. Like we are delivered people. We are a people that are set on a new trajectory. We are a people who lean in to difficulty and hardship. We are a people who desire for one another intimacy and knowledge of God. We are a people who lift up one another as we intrude in each other's lives. How does all of this happen? It's through the broken body of our King and the power of his resurrection back to life. It's right? through his spilt blood, which, which purchases us, which reconciles us, which covers us and provides us power and, and opportunity, garments to walk into the presence of God. We can embrace a life of, of hardship, a, a life of hardship that we can be sure of because of the power of what Christ has done, because of the power of the gospel. Everything that we've talked about this morning, everything that Paul is talking about this morning, man, apart from, apart from intimacy with Christ, apart from forgiveness of sin based on the finished work of Jesus, it's an impossibility. 
Like if you're here and you're not following Jesus, man, and you go, I'm gonna just start like implementing these things into my life. You would be, you would be better suited to go invest in a gym membership, start running on a treadmill because that's the physical equivalent. You're going nowhere. <laughs> you're going nowhere. And but when we look to Jesus, and we trust in, in Jesus, we follow Jesus. And that's what he does, this is what our lives look like now. As we close, we prepare to come to the table. Let's do so with this resounding amen. Amen? amen. Hang on, let's do that one more time. Let's do it with this resounding amen. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful um, for who you are and for what you have done for us in Christ. We are grateful that you have, you have reconciled us to you, that we can know you we can know you in your word, that your, your spirit opens our eyes and our hearts to, to familiarize ourselves with your attributes. You make yourself knowable to us through your word. And, and you give us eyes to see and, and hearts that desire. What a radical transformation of grace. We are indeed trophies of your grace. The, the church is a trophy of your grace. May we, we live lives that are, that are committed to, to seeing kingdom expansion. We live lives that are, that are committed to mission, that are focused on what you're doing in the world, the way in which you're working to, to create for yourself a family made of, of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue who enjoy you, worship you. Give us a, give us a heart for, for one another. Give us a heart for one another. As you, have had a, you have had a heart for us. You have sought us. You have saved us. You've loved us. Help us to love one another as this is an apologetic to the world, an encouragement within the body of Christ. Just to remember one another, to desire increased faith, strengthened faith. What a beautiful challenge. What a beautiful picture. We need Christ. We need Christ to, to, to live this. We desire that he would be exalted through all of it. That it would all be about him. That it would all be, it would all be for him. As we come to the table and prepare to lift our voices, may our responses be gospel-informed and Jesus-exalted. We love you and we're grateful for your love for us. And it's in the name of our risen King that we pray. Amen.